welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the Nerd Party's podcast where we examine the work of Star Wars creators both within and without the Star Wars galaxy. I'm one of your hosts, John Mills, and with me is my good friend, Mike Schindler. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good, Mike. Uh, this week we're going to be uh, doing a sort of a repeat of what we've done before, in a sense, a sequel, uh, fittingly enough, where the, we looked at the first the, works. The third part in our trilogy. Third part in our trilogy? Yeah, because we did the... Well, you, you go ahead and explain it, and then yeah, yeah. no, because because we we looked at the first works of the original trilogy directors, and uh, so we looked at uh, THX one one three eight, Stakeout on Dope Street, and the Legacy. So we had Lucas Kirshner Marquand, and this time we are looking at the works of Abrams, Johnson, and Trevorrow. So we're looking at Mission Impossible three, Brick, and Safety Not Guaranteed. You're forgetting about our spinoff series where we looked at the Clone Wars. Oh, my gosh. You're right. We did. Yes, you're right. This is the third. This is. Wow, man. Okay. It's All a right. trilogy I'm, of trilogies. That's right. I, a just trilogy like, of just trilogies. Like, just, like, just like the thing. Yes. Just like just like the uh, the Star Wars films themselves <laughs> to this point. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. That's what we're doing. We're, we're looking at J.J. Abrams. His first film was Mission Impossible 3. Ryan Johnson's first film was a film called Brick, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then we have Colin Trevorrow's first film, Safety Not Guaranteed. So I think the, the best way to go is just let, let's approach these in order here and look at J.J. Abrams first because he's, he's, his movie has already come out. Uh, episode 7, The Force Awakens. It was a small hit. Uh, people seem to enjoy it. But his first film, Mission Impossible 3. A low-budget indie yeah, uh, right. starring an unknown actor named uh, Thomas Cruise. Cruise, yes. Yes. and No relation to the politician. No. So <laughs> we, we, have, we have basically Abrams coming in, stepping in, after a somewhat disappointing sequel to Mission Impossible, Mission I mean, Impossible 2. Some people were disappointed, but those people were uh, losers. Hmm. That's a very interesting point of view. I would consider the fact that they could both be losers and disappointed and correct about the film. But hey, that's just me. Um, that is to, just you. But uh, you know, they were disappointed enough that they said, "You know what? Let's let's try something new. Let's mix it up." No. We had uh, no, no, no. They we're not. No, that's not. No, no. See, Mission Impossible, the the thing that makes that that series so great, the thing that makes it so unique, is that instead of saying like, "Oh, this didn't work. Let's get a new director," what they do is they get auteurs to come in and make a Mission Impossible movie with their own unique style. So every Mission Impossible movie is directed by a different person and every Mission Impossible movie has its own unique aesthetic. So it's not like, oh, John Woo sucks. Let's get J.J. Abrams. It's like, oh, John Woo's awesome. Let's see what J.J. Abrams would do. 
Okay, see, the thing is, from my perspective, and of course, Star Wars is all about points of view. Yes. Uh, from my point of view, when they went with Abrams, it was a desire to move away from what had happened previously. Because from my perspective and in my circle of friends, maybe this skews my whole read of the whole Mission Impossible 2 thing. But when Mission Impossible 3 came out, our our perception, the way we read all the marketing materials was, hey, 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 we know you might have had some problems with Mission Impossible 2, but we got this great guy on board, and he is just going to really knock your socks off. This kid's great. He knows what he's doing, and so you got to come and see J.J. Abrams at work on the big screen. That, see, that I, was the way I'm, it played to us. I'm completely uh, uh, oblivious to the marketing of Mission Impossible 3 because that came in my year when I wasn't watching any trailers. At all, ah, I, I I literally went into Mission Impossible Three, never having seen a, a a frame of footage from that movie. So like when that car exploded and Tom Cruise gets thrown against the other car, I was like, oh my god! You know, the same way that everyone else was when they saw the trailer. I think about that a lot, and I think, See, why do I watch trailers now? What do I get out of it? Like not basically much. nothing. You know, Not my, all they can possibly do at this point is just spoil things that would be like the mummy. Tra- speaking of Tom Cruise, the mummy trailer. Mm-hmm. How much cooler would that plane crash have been if the first time you ever saw it was on the big screen instead of your phone or your laptop? Yeah. And you're on the big screen and you're going, how did they film this? This is amazing. I'm loving this so much. Instead, you you know, it's in the palm of your hand and it it doesn't work as well. Yeah. But. uh for me, I, I, the trailers I'm, I'm, of Mission gonna, Impossible I'm, 3 sold it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this okay. right here. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to get it on air so that okay. you know our listeners can hold me to it, okay? Yeah. I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to make one or two exceptions, okay? Like, I'm going to Celebration. Um, if you're going to be there, you know, hey— Say say hi, you know. Let's let me yeah. know, and we'll, we'll 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 wait in line in the middle of the night together. Or I guarantee you, he will be wearing a ball cap. <laughs> I will be. That is uh, yeah, that is one hundred percent for sure. <laughs> but so like, okay, if I'm going to celebration and they're going to show the first, you know, trailer for Last Jedi or whatever, yes, I will watch that. Okay, but I will not watch any trailers online. I will close my eyes and cover my ears when I'm in a movie theater when the trailers come on, and I'm going to avoid trailers uh, for at least a year, okay? I'm making that promise right here, right now, on episode 21 of Great Shot Kid. Hold me to it. That is going to be one heck of a challenge for you. That's tougher than me giving up soda for Lent, because (laughs) given your profession... um, it's going to be hard to avoid trailers. I did it before. I did it for a year. You know, my wife was always embarrassed, you know, because I'd like cover up my, you know, ears and close my eyes in the theater and everybody would be like, what's wrong with that guy? And she'd just be like, <laughs> don't even just, it's not, you know, whatever. He's no, just I, a thing. I, I applaud it. I, I definitely applaud it because the, the one experiment that I did was I did all of the run up to The Force Awakens uh-huh. and had a reaction and so to do a scientific thing i did see trailers but i cut back i didn't do any of the warm-up for rogue one Mm -hmm. just to see if one had an impact on my reaction um and actually i I would say that the result is that yeah you're making a smart call here in pulling back because certain things are going to be so much more enjoyable if you don't know that they're coming 
Yeah, you know, of course. If, if, you if, know. if all the trailers were like Rogue One's trailers, it wouldn't matter because it's not like they have any footage that ends up in the movie, right? That is a fair <laughs> point. But uh, Mission Impossible 3's trailer, uh, what sold me on seeing the movie was Philip Seymour. They they focused on Philip Seymour Hoffman talking to Tom Cruise yeah. and having that really tense showdown right. of wills between the two of them. And that was really something that that jumps out at me still having rewatched it this time is those scenes are electric and it really speaks to what I think Abrams has always been good at which is to get great character tension oh yeah he gets tremendous acting performances from people yeah I mean Mission Impossible 3 is brilliant I mean I I said it was the best film of the year in 2006 and I stand by that to this day um, and, you know, J.J. Abrams is such an amazing director. And one of the things which I found so fascinating about this movie, going back to, you know, our discussion about the Mission Impossible series and how, you know, each one is unique, like this one really felt like a feature film version of Alias, you know, which is interesting because Alias is kind of an update of Mission Impossible, the show. But, you know, seeing that, looking at it, you know, in relation to that series, Alias, uh, you know, and everything really kind of speaks to the differences between film and television and what, you know, one medium does better than the other and, and vice versa and everything like that. And I just thought that this movie was amazing. It completely blew me away. And in a lot of ways, you know, looking at it, completely objectively I think it may be his best movie you know looking at it outside of the bubble of nostalgia or anything like that it might be better than Star Trek 09 it might be better than Into Darkness and it might be better than The Force Awakens it's definitely better than Super 8 but yeah it is definitely better than Into Darkness as well I'm gonna just (laughs) state that plainly for the record right here probably is it better than 09? Is it better than Force Awakens? I don't know, but it's an interesting thing in that, you know, as you sit there and you list his filmography there, you realize that his his big screen filmography is a lot a lot smaller than you think it is. And I think what's really telling about going back to Mission Impossible 3 is uh, when they have the helicopter chase, I'm seeing right there already the birth of the the camera stuff that was used in The Force Awakens for the Falcon's chase. Yeah. Right, the, the the quick zooms and the movement and everything to make it as kinetic as possible as it's going through and the dodging everything. And what I realized in the moment while I was watching that was that Abrams came in at a higher level than most, you know, big screen debut directors come in at. And so I think that what can skew the perception of Abrams a great deal is he came in at such a high level that there's less room for him to grow. That's not a negative thing. It's just that when you benchmark his forward progress, he came in at such a high level that to go from eight, you know, if he comes in at an eight to get up to 10 is a shorter ladder climb for him than somebody who comes in at a five and has to go all the way up. Like if you watch THX 1138 and then you watch American Graffiti, you see where Lucas was and you see what he pieces together from the first experience and what he does to improve, whether it's, you know, camera or character or anything or script or anything like that, what he does to improve uh, the structure of the film. Uh, When you watch The Legacy versus uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, you can see a similar sort of thing. When you watch 
Mission Impossible 3 and then you watch The Force Awakens, you realize that he is so far along that he could have made The Force Awakens the next year after he made Mission Impossible 3. Yeah, and it is kind of, you know, like skewing things a bit by saying this is his first movie. I mean, they make fun of it on the commentary where, you know, Tom Cruise is like, oh, this is your first movie, your first time director. (laughs) Because, like, you know, he had already made, like, the most expensive episode of television in history with the pilot for Lost and won an Emmy for it, you know? So it's not like this is the first time he ever picked up a camera and said action, you know? He he was a very well-established, you know, television, you know, writer, as well as, you know, a very well-established, you know, film writer he wrote he, he co-wrote armageddon hey um sure so, no, so yeah you know. i mean he, he's no he's no newbie he's not yeah. fresh out of film school when he makes this absolutely but i think that just adds to the fact that when when you look at his big screen filmography he's already at a certain level when he's coming in yeah for sure and so it's a, it's a shorter journey for him to to get up there like now though having watched mission impossible 3 and and the force awakens and having seen Super 8 and understanding where that sort of went awry, I really, really desperately want to... I Like, I want to see him stretch his wings. Like, I, I, it makes me want to see his next movie even more because I want to see him figure out something that he hasn't done before. I want to see him break new ground. I, for, I forget what the book is, but there there's some book where, uh, you know, it really feels... He's, he's trying to get the rights or something like that. You know, it's not a for sure thing or anything, but it, it it's something that you'd consider to be like a prestige sort of like Oscar film, you know, which is kind of funny. Like, if you look at him in relation to like Spielberg's career and everything like that, you know, this is his, his you know, Oscar, Oscar movie, you know, where right. it's like a, it's a drama, you know, sort of thing that instead of like a big action blockbuster. And I think that that would be really cool if, if he were able to, to go. I think I'm just completely guessing here, but my guess would be that whatever he does next is going to be much smaller in scale and much more sort of like prestigious, you know, in mm-hmm. quotes, than, uh, than, you know, the stuff that he's been doing. But one guarantee is there will be a lot of running in it. So maybe he Could should be. do a small scale picture about somebody who's a marathon runner. Yeah. Because I think go. that he'd feel very comfortable with his camera movement there. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he uses like those, those things, like the shots of like Tom Cruise running through, you know, the streets and everything. He used the, uh, the space cam thing, which is the same camera rig that they use uh, at, during football games that like flies over the stadium. Oh, the XFL camera. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The X cam. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it works very well. No, yeah. Sure. It, re- it really does. Um, so, yeah, Mission Impossible 3, if you haven't seen it, I'd say that both of us are giving it the stamp of approval. Run out, rent it today, and you won't be disappointed. It's, I mean, it, it's like any other Abrams movie with the exception of Super 8 and Into Darkness. Like, you're in it till the end. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're running along along with the characters now and 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 the crew that he assembles on that movie you know across the board pretty much mm-hmm. are the people who made force awakens so so there you go oh that's right yeah uh wow you're right the editors cinematographers yeah. everything huh. costume designers everything the team comes together like armageddon yes yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. did you ever hear his story real quick about armageddon no. 
because you know that movie had like 17 writers on it and everything and right. you know they were pushing it so hard that they had like a very early teaser trailer and he talks about how he was hired to write the movie and he went to see some movie in the theater and he was sitting with his friend let's just say greg grunberg because it probably was right most and- likely <laughs> And they're watching the trailers, you know, because he watches trailers. And uh, the trailer for Armageddon comes up, and it's like, Armageddon, coming to you next summer. And he leans over to Greg Grunberg, and he's like, I guess I should probably start writing it then, huh? (laughs) That's great. Yep. That's great. That's one of the charming things about Abrams is he seems fairly self-deprecating and a little... Oh yeah, uh, fairly humble for somebody of so much prestige. So yeah, you, you have to admire that. But mm-hmm. um, that brings us to the second film and our second director uh, of the upcoming Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, uh, Ryan Johnson, and his first film, Brick, which I suspect people are less familiar with uh, than than Mission Impossible Three. So, what what is Brick? Brick is uh. Dashiell Hammett, Philip Marlowe style kind of uh, noirish movie, but it takes place in a high school, and uh, it involves uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as like a guy who's sort of caught up in this whole thing, where like his his I guess ex girlfriend is is missing and there it involves like a brick of drugs and this sort of like underworld at this high school and it's very much sort of like in the style of these classic you know noir films and detective fiction stories and everything you know with all those tropes and everything but in a high school yes and i found it to be uh fairly delightful i actually really it takes uh it takes a little bit to get going to get its to get its motor going but there's enough there to keep you interested and i i have no idea what could possibly translate to uh, the last jedi except for the fact that there is a very clear uh sense of style you know you know to speak to your point about it being a noirish thing, but it's set in high school, it still feels like it's source material, even though it's set in a different time and space. So you could very easily say, okay, well, this is an example. I mean, from my point of view, you could easily say this is an example of a director who can come into a space epic and still have it feel like a certain type of movie, even though you've got lightsabers and Jedi happening yeah i mean there's like a consistency to to the the writing and the style and everything like that which is creating this sort of like otherworldly quality even though it does take place in you know modern day you know suburbia or whatever you want to call it and and i think that that's interesting i mean there's obviously you know um some some pretty evident talent that johnson displays um as far as his you know technique and everything uh, working with actors and and structure and all that stuff and you know it, it's clear that that he is a very very talented filmmaker who is you know capable of putting out a quality product as we've seen 
time and again on things like Breaking Bad and stuff like that, and you know, right. Looper, eh, you know, and and all that. I haven't stuff. seen Looper yet. Looper, so. Looper is a weird, a weird movie because it's, um, it's it's got you know tonally and everything. It's is very very solid, but the overall premise, the time travel, you know, uh, thing which the entire movie is built on stops making sense the minute you think about it. And I I know that that's true of most time travel things, but this one like goes to great lengths to show how it works, and as you're seeing how it works, like you just cannot help but punch you know, these massive holes into... I think that's the Star Trek fan in you talking. It's really... I really do think it's that's It's really the... freaking obvious. Like, mm. obvious to the point I, of I, like, I, 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 but then why doesn't he just do that? I'll, I'll, I'll see it. Okay. I'll see it. All right. I, I will let you know whether you're right or wrong. Okay. But if you so. can get by the fact that it doesn't make any sense... You know, it's it's a it's a decent movie. All right, so I had a more positive judged by judging by our our letterboxed reviews, yeah. our, our star ratings there. I had a more positive reaction to Brick than you did, which is not to say that you disliked it, but to just that I had a more positive reaction. So, what is it that works for you? I mean, I, I think you you said tonally it works for you. What didn't work for you for this? What what is sort of a point of uh, for lack of a better term, concern where you'd be like, er, I hope he doesn't indulge this habit when he makes episode eight. I mean, this is the second time that I've seen it. And the first time I saw it, I, I, I was like, oh yeah, that's good. You know, and I think I was kind of like impressed by like the things that I was talking about. This time around, I guess they didn't impress me as much and I had less tolerance for the things which didn't work for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you were to tell me, if you put this on paper, like, it's, you know, a detective story. It's a noir with all the tropes that you're, you know, familiar with. But in a high school, I'm like, sign me up. That sounds like the best movie ever made because I'm a huge fan of film noir and I'm a huge fan of, you know, the high school movie. I think that it's, it's kind of this this really, you know, great sort of microcosm you know of society and and really really great for telling stories you know and everything like that and then when I see it I'm like oh this is not what I expected this is not what I was hoping for I think that he goes the wrong way with it you know it's kind of like it's an adult story with kids instead of like kids in a a a story which, you know, takes all of those elements but translates them to their level. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I I just, I don't buy it, you know? There's, like, so many things where it just feels forced, like, you know, who's she eating lunch with these days? You know, which they're trying to, like, get that down to high school level, but it's like, as a high schooler, I wouldn't be like, it's like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? And yet the high schoolers then are dealing with, like, straight-up literal murders, you know, and, like, organized crime and stuff like that. And not on, like, a high school level, but on, like, a, you know, like, Lucas Haas basically plays, like, you know, the Sidney Greenstreet character in this with all of those things where he's got his cane and his weird office and everything, but then they, like, go upstairs and... And, like, his mom is making sandwiches for him. And it's like, 
I, I see what he was going for. I think he completely missed the target on that stuff. It does not work for me. And that might work for mm. some people. You know, it did not work for me at all. I would have gone a very different direction with that basic premise. See, for me, it worked really well because it kept, I, I think it keeps you off balance in terms of what to expect because it indulges the, the childish aspects at some point and then it indulges the more adult aspect as it moves forward. And the, and the turning point is when he is brought into uh, the, the office and he is told, you know, I can't run cover for you anymore. You have to embrace this. You have to, uh, you know, take charge of everything. I, and it, in, from that point forward, it embraces the more adult aspect of everything. Whereas there's a more controlled decision to keep you off balance and not confused per se, but it, you know, it's a very conscious decision to keep you off kilter going up to that scene and give you time to sort of adjust to where it wants to go. And then once it hits that scene, it completely uh, pops in and just goes whole hog into the, you know, the, the more adult uh, type of, uh, of focus to everything. But all that to say that the style is going to work for some and the style isn't going to work for others, but definitely I, I think worth renting and worth trying if you haven't seen it yet to go in and, and, you know, decide for yourself, does this work for you? Does it not? What does and what doesn't? So that brings us to number three, uh, which is Colin Trevorrow with his first film, Safety Not Guaranteed. Now, when you say Colin Trevorrow, everybody thinks of Jurassic World because that's undoubtedly what got him. I, I mean, I think that's undoubtedly what got him the job for episode nine. Yeah, although it, do you, you remember know. back in the day when there were the rumors that he was going to be directing episode seven? No, I don't remember that. Because, and and I mean, well, the the, the origin, okay, because, you know, the, the episode seven, they were trying to find a director, then there were these rumors that it was going to be Colin Trevorrow, and, you know, uh, people were pointing to certain things, but then also they were pointing to the fact that in interviews and stuff like that, Trevorrow was saying, like, my next movie, if it comes together, is going to be something, which is a property, which is very near and dear to my heart, blah, 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 and people were reading this and being like, he sounds like he's talking about Star Wars, but he was actually talking about was Jurassic Park, you know, but yeah. it was Star Wars. But then what came out later on down the road was, you know, another name which was in the running, obviously, was um, uh, Brad Bird. And Bird talked about how he was offered episode seven, and he basically had to choose between episode seven or Tomorrowland. And he went with Tomorrowland because he's like, this could be my Star Wars. How often do you get to, to make a, a, an original property of this size and, and stuff? And, you know, I'd rather do my own thing than, you know, do someone else's thing. But at the same time, he really wanted to do episode seven. And Colin Trevorrow is a, is a filmmaker who, you know, he had kind of taken under his wing as like a, a protege, I guess. Okay. And at one point... <laughs> In negotiations or whatever, Brad Bird had this crazy idea where he's like, you know, there's a young film filmmaker out there who's very similar to me. And I feel like while I am shooting Tomorrowland and we, you guys are in pre-production on episode seven, 
this filmmaker could be my proxy and he could essentially act as the director during pre-production and get it to the point where, you know, you guys are ready to shoot and then I can come in and actually direct it. And that filmmaker was Colin Trevorrow. And obviously, you know, Kathleen Kennedy and the powers that be were like, that's not a good idea. And I think that's the type of thing where Brad Bird was even like, yeah, you're right. That would never work in a million years. But, you know, I'm desperate here. But that put Trevorrow on their radar, you know, and Jurassic World came out. And because of that, you know, Trevorrow was sort of already in the mix and everything like that. And that's how episode nine you know, came to be as well. I mean, no I, said, I said it back when it happened, but it's, it's like you make, you know, one of the highest grossing movies ever made. And yeah, you get to, your reward is you get to direct a Star Wars sequel. I guess that's just the way it works, right? So, yes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it, okay. All right, Jurassic World is its own thing. Safety not guaranteed. I'm going to, I'm going to straight out say that this is a movie that I, I, really enjoyed when I when I watched it and as I thought about it it's so damn charming that I keep going back to it mentally Mm -hmm. brick I can respect brick I like brick I keep praise on but safety not guaranteed is so quirky is so unabashedly um I, I the only word I can think of is charming that I can't get away from it I keep going back to it because I thought that all of the characters in it, and this this is this is really, I think, something that that goes through, and something that speaks to probably the different tone of Star Wars movies, at least the episode movies, uh, as we're going to experience them, as opposed to when Lucas was in charge. Is when Lucas was in charge, it was story, 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 first story, 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 and then some character stuff, and I'll tell you some other things on the side. Whereas these movies, and I think that. Trevorrow very much reinforces this are have much more of a character focus than a story focus uh force awakens that's definitely true i think ryan johnson shows a tremendous uh you know command of tone but also character with brick but safety not guaranteed continually comes back to me as just something where these characters are so distinct yet so relatable in so many different ways that there's something for everybody to grab onto in the audience with every character. Now, I don't know what your impression of safety, not guaranteed is like, you know, here I am heaping praise on it. How did you feel about it? I I liked it a lot. You know, um, I, I think that it's, it's an interesting premise. I like the idea of, you know, a movie built around basically an ad in the, in the classifieds, you know, and and I think that uh, it works. Um, I you know the the idea of sort of this um, maybe being a science fiction movie or maybe not being a science fiction movie, and we don't really you know find out for the majority of the film. But there's that idea in the background. I, that's that's always something which is intriguing to me. And, um, you know, I, I kind of wish it was a bit more ambiguous, you know, throughout, but, um, you know, what, what can you do? But, you know, it, it leads to some, some interesting character stuff. I thought it was very funny. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that it, it has to say in terms of, you know, 
living life and, you know, going back and, and changing things, you know, in the past and whether or not we would do that or should do that or move forward mm-hmm. or whatever is interesting. You know, they, they do a good job of, of sort of like dealing with that theme from different perspectives, you know, with different characters who are at different places in their lives and everything yeah. and have had different experiences. And I like the fact that they kept it nice and short, under an hour and a half. You know, Aubrey Plaza is, is great and, and very, very charming and everything, like you're saying. And, uh, yeah, on the whole, I, I think it's a, a really good movie. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, of the three, this would be, like, if you said... Now, obviously, I'm going to see all three of them again at some point in the future. But if you said right now, you got to throw one of these into the player and watch it. Safety Not Guaranteed is actually right now at the top of the list for me of of these three because of everything you're saying where it's like it 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 really moves along. It doesn't fall in love with its own concept too much Mm -hmm. and it it keeps it moving um, and it keeps it brisk. But what also jumped out to me about it was this is the only one with a female main character of the mm-hmm. three that we're looking at right now. Yeah. And so I think that bodes very well also because obviously Ray is our, our driving character in the sequel trilogy. So obviously Trevor is going to be very, very comfortable with a female lead and, you know, giving that character a good, a good sound voice. Uh, you know, in the film, I really thought that his comedy. I mean, if if I were to hazard a guess, what, what's really interesting is you have Abrams who does Mission Impossible three, and then he's done The Force Awakens, and he's got great command of character, and you know, it, you know even more so than story. But you know, there's character and pacing for him. Ryan Johnson is coming in to do, uh, you know what's undoubtedly going to be the empire strikes back of this trilogy in terms of, you know, it's going to be dark and it's going to be mysterious and it's going to be, um, moving and it's going to be, uh, you know, so his first film is a noir film and that fits. And then you have somebody coming in to do the return of the Jedi of the series who obviously has a command of character, but also comedy and wit and fast pacing. And I think that speaks really well for how this is going to wind up mirroring uh, you know, the original trilogy in a lot of ways. Yeah, it could. Um, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, I think that Jurassic World is probably a, a, a better indicator than than this is, just because it's closer in everything to Star Wars. You know, scale. Yeah, scale. You know, and and and, and everything like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this movie does give me, give me hope, which I, I did not necessarily have with Jurassic World. Really? Um, because the thing is, I, I, I see aspects from this that carry over into Jurassic World where there's a sense of, like, there, there's definitely a sense of humor that carries through both of them, but also a clear sense of character in each character being likable. That, you know, I mean, Force Awakens was was praised for that. The fact that all of the main characters were likable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think I think that this you can see it carry straight through to Jurassic World. I mean, Chris Pratt's character is basically a clone of, you know, the, the smarmy jackass character in this, uh, you know, in Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's that all all that's true. I mean, I, I guess uh Jurassic World just in terms of its overall whatever feels very generic. You know what I mean? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I mean you I, ask me if like Jurassic World is a good movie and I'm like, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it's definitely better than Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. So, uh, I mean, I would know. say it's better than Jurassic Park 3 for sure. Yeah, and, and, and Lost World. It's definitely, definitely that's, not, World. that's not an accurate statement at all. It, but. It's, it, it's scientifically <laughs> proven, actually, that Jurassic World is better than Lost World. Um, one thing that we should, yeah, using Jurassic Park type science, where you can make like freaking dinosaurs <laughs> out of, t- you know, frogs or whatever, and that type of science, yes. It was in a movie. Proven. It was in a movie, Mike. Okay. It's true. Um, anyway, uh, it should be noted that this movie is written by Derek Connolly, who... Uh, is now uh, Trevorrow's writing partner. You know, the two of them wrote Jurassic World together and they're writing episode nine together. So even though Trevorrow did not write this movie, it is written by the co-writer of episode nine. So that's kind of cool. And a lot of Star Wars references inside this this here movie, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Well, I mean, but I mean, the thing is, isn't that true of so many different directors? I mean, I guess that you escape it with, with Brick, like... But there was a Star Wars reference or two in there. I mean, Star Wars is very much in these guys' brains. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, but this is like straight up. They're like, have you ever seen Star Wars? Like yeah, they talk true. about, you know, yeah. you know, not just like that shot looks similar to that shot in Empire, but like Star Wars is referenced numerous times in this movie, you know? Yeah. You, you know, the, the the thing that I think really makes the movie stick with me is that the the guy that they're all trying to figure out the truth about in this is like I feel like I know this guy, not because I think I'm him. I'm not saying it in that sense, but I'm saying that, like, we've all known that that guy that that didn't quite fit in, mm-hmm. but he was a likable guy, but he did weird things. And so, like he'd do that weird thing and you didn't stop liking him and you didn't stop being his friend, but you knew that when you went out into public with him, you were like, Oh man, just let this be the time where you don't do something weird, man. Let's just go to the movie and be done with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think, I I mean, safety not guaranteed made a, a huge impression on me, obviously. So for me, as it stands right now, it gets the edge. I, I, I really enjoyed all three of these, but I thought that, you know, this was the best of the three that I watched Um, by, you know, in a a lot of ways by a hair. Like it it was a very small distinction between the three of them. But if you were to pick a favorite, is it just going to be Mission Impossible 3 or? Yeah, for me, it's it's very clear that it's, you know, Mission Impossible 3, then Safety Not Guaranteed, and then Brick. And there's a pretty large gap in terms of quality between all three of those movies i think so Interesting. yeah mission impossible 3 is undoubtedly the best as far as i'm concerned okay okay well i mean i definitely a valid view if anybody has their own view uh of these three films and they want to share it with us they can go over to the nerdparty.com slash contact look up our show leave us some feedback it'll send an email to us and uh we'll respond to you live on the air um, and, uh, you know, unless you tell us not to, and then we'll just, we'll send you a note back, but, uh, you know, you, you can spur many great conversations with a good question sent in there. Uh, you can reach out to us over on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash the nerd party. 
Uh, and you can reach out to the show on Twitter through the the uh, the handle for the network at Join Nerd Party. And so those are three great ways to get in contact with us. And uh, another great way to get in contact with us is to reach out to Mike online. So, Mike, where can they reach out to you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can also find me on TalkFilmSociety.com doing Soderbergh 2828, which is a show where we look at all of Steven Soderbergh's movies. And you can find me on um, CommentaryTrackStars.com where I do commentary track stars, where we do audio commentaries and various other things. We have on there, if you want to dig way deep into the back catalog, um, a trial of Mission Impossible 3, where I <laughs> I defend the movie saying that it is good, and and my co-host Max prosecutes the movie saying that it's bad, and our friend Josh who had never seen the movie at that point, acts as the judge and determines, based on our arguments, whether or not the movie is good or bad. Um, so you could check that out. and Well uh, worth looking up. <laughs> and you can also find me uh, on Trek.fm doing Stage 9, which is a show just like this one where we look at the people who make Star Trek along with my co-host, John Mills. Oh, that's me. That's me. Yeah. Stage nine. Love doing that show. And uh, yeah, it's this, but for Star Trek creators. Uh, and you can also find me uh, here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, where uh, it's a Star Wars podcast that looks at uh, some of the uh, smaller nooks and crannies of the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, you can find me co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig Sorrell, um, just as a, a free-floating bit of insanity out there in the world. And you can also find me as Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice or over on KesselJunkie.com. So thank you for joining us, and uh, be sure to reach out. Let us know what you thought of these films, if you've seen them. And, uh, you know, or if you haven't, go ahead and give them a watch. But... Uh, Tune in with us next week when we cover uh, George, the George Lucas production of a comedy done in the 1990s starring Brian Benbent called Radioland Murders. Mm -hmm.